Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and every week we explore trending topics in the wine world. there and welcome to the wonderful world of wine we are your hosts mark and kim you can find us on facebook at the wonderful world of wine and we are always excited every week to talk about trending wine topics and information on the air with you so uh we like to talk about what did we google this week what sort of interesting things did we find on the internet so mark what did you uh what did you look up this week about wine This week, Kim, it was all about Cheez-Its. Did you see this thing trending? Oh, yes, I did. The Cheez-It manufacturer partnered up with a house wine company to put a box of wine with a box of Cheez-Its for the perfect pairing idea. Uh, house wine. They've been around for, for quite a while. Long time. Yeah. So the idea is they're strapped together and this is the wine you pair with, with the Cheez-Its. And then when I saw it, I sent you a message and <laughs> said, uh, we have to do a Cheez-It and wine pairing event because I never knew there was like a million different flavors of, of cheeses cheeses and there's a pizza one too so that's interesting after you after you posted that my aunt had posted about that on facebook i'm like oh look like people are are paying attention to this trending wine and cheese it thing it's so it's clever you packaging it, you see it and then it's viral on in every news feed mm-hmm. so we, i do like cheese it's i have to say what about you kim what did you research on google uh, this week? so i did a little bit of follow-up research for an article that we are going to talk about in a couple of minutes regarding state laws in Massachusetts specifically for bringing your own bottle of wine into a restaurant for dinner. So there are some specifics for Massachusetts regarding BYOB. There are other states that are much more accommodating, shall we say, for bringing your own bottle of wine with you into a restaurant. Uh, But unfortunately, Massachusetts is not one of those states. So we will talk about that a little bit more in a couple of minutes. There was a recent blog post on opentable.com, which is the website for making dinner reservations at a number of restaurants, about corkage and corkage fees and how do you bring your own bottle of wine into a restaurant if you want to celebrate with a special bottle or if you are just trying to save money and buy wine retail and bring it into a restaurant and hopefully try to not pay whatever the restaurant is charging for a particular bottle of wine. So what was a little bit difficult for us with this article was that Massachusetts laws are relatively strict and that this isn't necessarily something that you can do all the all the time in Massachusetts. So I'm wondering if you've ever had the opportunity being a retailer and having your hands on your own stash of wine, Mark, to take advantage of some BYOB restaurants in our area. You know, Kim, I, th- I think this is a, one of those state laws that people People didn't realize it's been on the books a long time that BYOB is not legal everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think people were just doing it because I know we had wine dinners and we brought wines in. And when you talk about, I think we have to tell our listeners, BYOB, bring your own booze versus corkage fee. So right. if we start with corkage fee, corkage is you want to bring your own wine into a restaurant. And in the past, the restaurant would charge you a fee to serve it or you, right. to use to their glassware. To open it and to serve it for you. Which the law in mass states that if you are a, a 
a place that has a license already, you are not allowed to have anybody bring their own wine in for corketry, which Correct. I've seen that done all the time. People uh, bringing in their bringing own wines. It in. Yeah. Yep. So, so technically the letter of the law is if you have a full liquor license or if you have even just a wine and beer license, technically it is not legal for them to allow you to bring your own bottle of wine into the restaurant. So, and you've seen it done, right? I mean, I've seen I've it done. I've certainly seen it done. Yes. What's the rule at legals? Not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. Nope. And especially in Boston proper. So in the city of Boston, um, in Cambridge, in Somerville, just a few examples of cities and towns that don't allow you to bring in wine, even if the restaurant does not have a liquor license. So in those cities specifically, only alcohol purchased in that establishment can be consumed in that establishment. So there are permits you can get to get a BYOB permit if you don't have a license. Correct. And this was especially useful in dry towns. And we don't have a whole lot of dry towns in Massachusetts anymore. But the one closest to us that just changed a few years ago was Needham. So Needham never had restaurants that had liquor licenses. So it was always, under, not always understood, but there were a number of places where you could bring your own bottle of wine in and they would charge a corkage fee and you could drink, you know, drink your wine. I remember doing this a number of years ago with groups of friends at different restaurants uh, in there. And now for so much of alcohol licensing is controlled by the towns. So it's not necessarily a state thing. It's more of a town thing. So a town is allowed to give a certain establishment a BYOB, not so much a license, forget what it's Permits. referred to, but a permit. So if you have a restaurant and you are in a town that allows this and you don't have a liquor license, the town can give you a permit that allows you to tell your customers, hey, you can bring in a bottle of wine and then we'll charge you that corkage fee and then you're allowed to enjoy it here. So what I thought was interesting was that it is by the town. So every town is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. And they were talking this, the city of Boston, it's like a $400 permit fee, but there's still rules to that. It, whereas you can only bring wine and beer. You cannot bring your own liquor bottle in. Mm -hmm. And the beer is limited to 64 ounces and the wine is, is limited to 750 milliliters. So you can't bring a ton of stuff in. Uh, did you notice, Kim, when you were researching the laws, there's actually a separate rule for private clubs in the state. Did you see any oh, of that? Oh, I didn't run across that. No. Really interesting law. If you have a private club, your members can bring in beer and wine, but they have to have it with their meal. So you can't just bring it in and drink it. You have to have it with their meal. And they had a whole section of other laws. It, actually, they can only bring in wine. They must purchase with the meal. And after the meal, the unopened bottle must be returned and must be removed from the president. Premise. Oh, so you can't, very interesting. you can't leave it there. Now, one of the things that I have in question for restaurants is if a restaurant has a locker that they rent out. You, you ever see these? Mm -hmm. I know locally, mm -hmm. the, in Control used to do this. They had lockers where the items were bought from the restaurant but stored there for the user. So I think that's the difference between them bringing it in because the restaurant is buying it from a distributor. Right. Yeah. Then they're charging a fee to use the locker, but they're drinking their own wine that they ordered that's not on the list. But the customer is still purchasing from the restaurant. So it's technically their own 
own, but they're not. It's their own in the sense that they've already paid for it, but it's not their own in the sense of they purchased it from an outside source because they're already buying it from the restaurant. And whether that restaurant has like a separate reserve list or some special collection of wine that then these better, I guess, better guests (laughs) are buying into the idea of, yes, we have a special, you know, this is our special collection and these are ours and they're on reserve for us. Um, So I kind of look at that as more of a, it's a reserve list. It's a reserve area of wines for certain special guests. And that, yes, it's yours because you've already paid for it, but you're still buying it from the restaurant. Yeah. And the restaurant's technically following the state laws Mm -hmm. going through the three-tier system where they're buying from distributor for you. So you're not technically buying it and bringing it it in. So there is something different. But BYOB versus corkage, for years, it's I've seen it being done where people are bringing things in, but I think they're they're cracking down and and the towns are actually... can control who they give that out to as right. well. So One interesting thing that I ran across in my research was the idea that if a town doesn't have an ordinance about it, you know, if they haven't made a decision one way or the other, that it's sort of that you can do it. If you haven't, if the town hasn't made a decision about it, it's, it's allowed. So if there's no regulation on it, then sort of the silence gives the authorization that a restaurant can do it. So I think that that is where the changes are coming and that each town is sort of cracking down on it because the rule has always been like, well, if there's no rule, then we can do it as opposed to each town has to make its own set of rules so that now restaurants have to follow those rules. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you want to follow our show, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, and you can find past episodes on iTunes or SoundCloud. Next, we want to talk about an article that was in vinepair.com about Greek wines are trending. And in a few weeks back, Kim had said she was Googling some Greek wines for a tasting she was doing. So Kim, do you see a trend in Greek wines? I do see a few of them more on restaurant wine lists now. Yes, there seems to be a little bit more interest from people and a little bit more understanding about these wines. But you know, we've kind of had it in the backs of our minds that oh, Greek wine has been trending for a number of years. I'm hoping that this is the real deal now because there really are some delicious wines out of Greece. It is a little bit harder, I think, for them to break into the market because they don't have like an entry level wine. And we're sort of seeing this with a number of newer areas coming into our market. Not that these are like super new because they've been making wines in Greece for thousands of years. But as far as to our market with a more fine wine perspective, a lot of these are a little bit newer. But we sort of see this issue with wines from Eastern Europe, from Greece, sometimes a little bit from Portugal. It wasn't so much for Spain, but they're coming onto the market where the entry wines are $10, $12 a bottle. There isn't the $6 jug wine of Greek wines that can get people interested in the styles at a lower tier price point. You know, you're you're kind of starting with, well, maybe I'm going to have this on a Saturday night as opposed to popping, popping it open on a Tuesday for a glass of red. So I think that that on the one hand could be an issue, but on the other hand, you're really exposing people to these 
use better bottles right off the bat. So it could go either way. I think we're on the same page that when we taste them, we're like, these are really nice wines. But for me, and you mentioned hard, it's a a hard sell in retail Mm -hmm. because not everybody's coming in looking for Greek wines. You can't just stock a lot of these because a lot of them are fresh whites. But I did bring in some reds recently and I have been getting a lot of special orders for whites. So I see it trending that way for my customers. The big thing for me with distributors coming into me, I follow trends by what they're trying to push on me because they're mm. seeing things, they're bringing more into their warehouses. So they'll be they'll be coming in and saying, here's a new Greek wine. We're bringing this in and we're bringing that in. And I only have one distributor that has one salesman who's passionate about Greek wines only because his family owns a home in Greece and he goes there in the summers. Yeah. So he knows them. So he likes to, to show that knowledge. But I don't see it trending still. Like you said, everybody keeps saying it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And I think a lot of it is the price, like you mentioned, Kim. Mm-hmm. You, you, but for that price point, their entry level at that 10 to $12 price point is really good quality, small production stuff. And when you think of what they're doing to it, where it's coming from, it is value. I agree. I think they are a, quite a good value, even if it's a $20 bottle of wine. You know, there have been changes in their philosophy of how do we, not only how do we make our wines, but how are we marketing our wines that I think down the road is going to have an impact. And I think that they were smart decisions overall that a lot of wine producers in Greece have been paying attention to. There seems to be a little bit more of different growers and different producers sort of talking to each other and making decisions as a group because I have seen newer wines from the country that now they have more uniformity in labeling. They're making their labels easier for the American market to read and understand. And yes, there might still be Greek letters and Greek words on those labels, but at the same time, they are cleaning them up, they're making them more modern, and they definitely are making them more understandable for an audience who does not read the Greek language. So they're sort of changing their focus from trying to compete on an international scale with international wines. You know, you're not seeing a lot of Cabernet, you're not seeing a lot of Chardonnay. They're starting to focus on their indigenous grape varieties, which are really interesting and really cool, but also similar enough to other styles that people tend to like that I think with a little bit of education and with certain people on our side of the business, educating consumers could be really interesting and fun wines for people. So modern technology, focus on place, focus on indigenous grape varieties, but then also familiar styles that the market already likes. And a lot of that hard sell is because of that indigenous grapes. They're very tough for me to pronounce. Mm -hmm. It's all Greek to me, right? It's all Greek to to, you. It's it's tough. So they're not really focusing on putting that grape prominent on the label. It's more now the region maybe or just saying Greek wine. Or So you're right. They, they modified the labels. They're using more modern winemaking techniques. And a lot of people, you mentioned, Kim, the history. The Greeks for, what, 4,000 years have been making wine and they actually brought wine to Italy. And one of the things I was always fascinated about was there's more Greek ruins in Italy than there is in Greece. Mm-hmm. So they had an influence all over the world and, and people are kind of rediscovering now. And one of the things in the past I thought was you heard about their economics they had some problems in the past oh yeah and it was in the news and then all of a sudden you don't hear anything so mm-hmm. I don't know maybe their economy is getting better so they're producing more product yeah and I think so us. yeah in the 2000s it was it was terrible they were going through such a terrible economic depression and their unemployment numbers were crazy high very hard for people to find work to pay off debt but now it does 
seem like there is so much growth in their winemaking sector. You know, there are not only older families that have been making wine for generations, but also newer, younger people coming onto the scene. And I think that that is helping to spark this resurgence in in interest. Tourism is stronger currently for Greece, and that always is a help. I think that so much of the interest in Spanish wines that we see in the U.S. really is because there is this interest in people going to Spain and in tourism in Spain. And hopefully we'll see something similar coming out of Greece. I hope so anyway. So two-thirds of the, the Greek wine business is white wine. And they also have this big movement now with natural wine making which originally was all natural winemaking anyway, so it's kind of making a comeback. (laughs) All that is old is new again. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find out more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com and more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. Another topic we want to uh, discuss with you today concerns a trending style of wine, which I know we've talked about a number of times, rosé. Rosé is very popular, not only because it is summer and it's hot out, but because there has been this trend in this style of wine for a number of years. So it's not just a seasonal wine anymore. But as we have some of these hotter seasons, it does make it increasingly difficult for winemakers to continue to produce this style of wine, which is light and crisp and generally doesn't like too much heat in its production. And I feel like every week, Kim, we've been talking about climate change stories that are trending. We're talking to the listeners about this time we're back in France and Provence and Provence is East Coast and very warm climate and it's getting warmer. So they're having what they call hot vintages and the rosé itself is made to be made crisp in crisp, a crisp style. light dry super refreshing it's not supposed to be a heavy weighty wine and when wine grapes are exposed to a lot of heat on the vine and maybe spend you know longer time on that plant those acid levels go down while those sugar levels rise so you end up with a wine that is richer and maybe doesn't feel quite so refreshing in your mouth mouth because it is lacking that acidity. So winemakers have to, and grape growers, have to come up with some solutions as to, okay, how do we respond to what is changing outside and still make this style of wine that for them is so iconic and is so popular in the market right now that they really don't want to change it. So with the the sugar rise and the acid drop, the, the grapes actually ripen faster than usual, so they're harvested earlier. So that affects how fresh they are and the alcohol level. So Mm -hmm. Kim, what are some of the things the winemakers will do to keep this wine tasting the same? So like you said, you know, earlier harvest is one solution, but they're really looking beyond just, oh, how do we, we'll pick the grapes later, we'll pick them earlier. Um, They are looking into techniques both in the vineyard and in the winery. And it seems like these changes really do need to start with the plant itself, with the grape itself. So they're experimenting with things having to do with the leaves of the plant, removing some of the leaf coverage, which if you have fewer leaves on the plant, then they're bringing in less sunshine, you have less photosynthesis, and then that plant is going to struggle a little bit more to ripen its fruit because it's really lacking in energy. So they're doing a lot of experiments with how much, how many leaves do we remove? Do we remove them at this point in time in the season or do, do, we, do, do we do it at a different point in time in the season? So those sorts of experiments in the vineyard seem to be successful. 
But then also looking at at other things like changing grape varieties or creating new grape varieties that can withstand higher temperatures and still result in a grape with a decent acid level. So there's, you know, there's stuff going on in the lab as far as breeding new grape varieties and not necessarily using any funky techniques, but just being smart about the way that you breed new plants. And then rootstocks are another one that was brought up. So the, um, the root system of the plant goes a long way into determining what the outcome of those berries are. So this is kind of getting into this technical side of grape growing, but there's all these different things that scientists and grape growers can look into as to how to combat what is changing in the climate. And a lot of times the French or Provence, the same thing, they have to be careful. It may sound simple to add acids or or de-alcoholize or grow a different grape, but a lot of times the government says you can't do that. So it needs to take time for the, the winemakers to say, hey, to the government, we can't produce the product you, you want us to produce. We have to do these things. So they have to make deals or show things to the government mm-hmm. to allow them to do these things because they were talking about just growing different varietals than they normally grow for the past thousands of years. But the government is not going to be that easy on them with yeah. that stuff. Change doesn't happen very quickly when it comes to winemaking in France. They've been doing it for so long and they had such a good system for such a long time that change does come very slowly because they really are of the mindset that, okay, we've figured it out. This is as good as it's going to get. Therefore, we've put all, we've codified all of these things that we do in order to get the best possible product. Well, now things have changed. If you're looking at the climate being different than it was 60, 70, 80 years ago, something needs to give. So hopefully there will be a little bit more leeway given to winemakers to do some experimentation in order to still produce the best possible product that they can. So Kim, we both drink a lot of French rosé, a lot of Provence rosés. Have you noticed any change in the style or the taste? Not for wines from Provence. No. Um, always, always the same. Right? I, f- I finally feel. I, I do feel that whether it was this year or five or six years ago, that stylistically, I'm not seeing too much of a change. But I also I drink rosés from all over the place. I don't just stick to Provence. So there are a lot of other things out there. But I would say that for consistency in this style of wine. I feel like it's been fairly consistent. Do you think that the Provence rosés, it used to be the go-to, the rosé. Do you think that the market is saturated with rosés now, so Provence really has no niche? No. too many choices? I I feel like, yes, there is a lot of rosé out there, but if you have a wine list and you have three rosés on there, one of them is going to be from Provence. I just feel like it's, it's like if you have a Sauvignon Blanc list, you're having at least one from New Zealand on there. I feel like it is... The class. It's the classic and you kind of need to have it there. So whether your wine list used to have two or three or that all the rosés used to be there and now you've got one from Italy and now you have one from Germany and now you have one from South America. You still have that wine from Provence on there, but it might be the other ones might be being elbowed out by these wines from other places as well. And they were saying the rosé worldwide consumption is up 30% this year. Worldwide. 30 percent since 2000. So it's been, you know, a growing trend that we've been watching. But that is that is an amazing growth. That's in the world. I would love to see the U.S. Mm -hmm. percentage of that. I would say in the last five years in the U.S., I I wouldn't be surprised if it was some really significant amount of growth. What do you think is one of the downfalls of 
Provence Rosé. For our listeners who want to venture out into the rosé world, they go into a store and they see a ton of rosés. Because I have my kind of view on this. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, do you see, as far as selection of people looking at rosés, do you see any reason a wine drinker would not lean towards Provence on the shelf versus others? Sometimes I think that the color can be a little bit of an issue because they are very, very light pink usually. And oftentimes consumers, especially American consumers, color is really important and depth of color I find is really important. So if you're a red wine drinker, you're a lot of red wine drinkers really do look for that big, bold, saturated color. And Provence rosés are the opposite end of that spectrum. They're really light, like rose petal pink, salmon pink, pretty lightly colored. That doesn't mean that they don't have a lot of flavor, but sometimes that color can be deceiving for people. Yeah, I totally Is that where you were going? Yeah, I was going with color, number number one color. You When you're looking at the palette of rosés on the shelf... But I think it, we need to look at price, too. It doesn't too. stand out and yeah. exactly what I was doing next. So first time we're on the same page ever. <laughs> um, yeah, price point, they, they are increasingly increasing production. Yeah, they're starting to get expensive. And the price is have crept up to that $20 mark. So now you're looking at the shelf, you see a light color, it's all the way to the right because it's the highest price point. And I'm thinking people are going left. They say, let's go to Italy. Let's go to California. Let's go to Spain. Because the price point, I don't think the venture of, okay, it's Provence, it's the class, we have to go to it. And retail is working. I think they're losing that customer. Mm -hmm. And they are making their bottles look so much classier. You know, they're making them look like a $20 bottle. You know, there are some out there that have special bottles and they're different shapes and there's cut glass and there's all this like fancy schmancy stuff going on with the bottle itself that I can only imagine that that adds to the cost but doing that as a branding move as a marketing move is that the smartest way to be going I don't know so tell me you're saying no from you know from boots on the ground retailer I don't see it what I want to ask you also is what is your opinion probably the most popular brand for Provence Rosé's Whispering Angel Mm -hmm. What is your opinion on the line? Like it, don't like it? It's in that price point. Yep. You know of it. I know of it. It seems uh, like it's the. It's like when people think Provence Rosé, Whispering Angels, what yep. they're looking for. It's the. I would say it's the hot brand. Um, I think it is certainly a good wine. It's if I'm offered a glass of it, I'm certainly not going to turn it down. But kind of like everything, I have so much that I know that I can go to that it's almost a matter of I'm not going to be drinking the trending brand because there's a lot of other stuff out there that I really want to try. So. So it's fairly uncommon for me to have a, a, a certain brand that I go to time and time and time again because I'm always trying new things. So I'm more of a, I'm going to drink within a style. So I'm going to try this rosé and then this rosé and then this rosé. But if given the opportunity to try or to have a, a glass of that, I'm certainly not going to turn it down. I don't think it is a lesser wine because it is a popular wine. But I think it is fairly standard as far as the style goes. So if you like Whispering Angel, if you've had it, if you've tried it and you like that style of wine, then I would just suggest to people that they experiment with other wines from Provence and give those other wines a go. But there's, I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with the wine because it is popular. What about, Kim, I, f- I feel bad we've been talking about Provence rosés. We never mm-hmm. mentioned the grapes. So for our listeners, yeah. what are the grapes? Because the grape grapes? doesn't make as much of, you know, this is one of those instances where the grape is secondary. It's all the region. But it's about the region and the style. But if people want to find wines made with the same grapes from Provence, they can find 
find that from California. So what are the grapes? So we've got Grenache, we've got Movedro, we've got Senso. They're all the same grape varieties that go into Cote d'Arones, frankly. So if people like Cote d'Arones wines, these are sort of the pink, the, the pink equivalent, but the pink sibling, I would say, of, of a lot of Rhone varieties. Uh, is there one that I left out? No, I think those are the big three. Those are the biggies. And I think, like you mentioned, other areas in France, southern France, make the same grape rosé wines that are half the price. So mm-hmm. if you want to experience what the grapes taste like in a rosé style, you can get them from other regions. Even California is experimenting right. with, with And those. other parts of France also make rosé. You know, we talk a lot about sparkling wine and that France is known for champagne, but then there are other bubblies from other parts of France. Rosé is kind of the same way. It's like rosé is known to be really good quality from Provence, but then there are other rosés out there. And I think another trending style of rosé right now is Pinot Noir rosé. There are a lot of rosés that are made from Pinot Noir from a number of different places. Yes, California. Yes, Oregon. But also Germany and Alsace in France and the Loire Valley in France and in Burgundy in France. So there's a lot of good Pinot Noir rosé out there. So again, like we've said, you know, it's a style of wine that's trending. I don't see it going away anytime soon. There's a lot out there for you to experiment with, whether you're at the $20 price point or whether you're at the $10 price point. You know, there's a lot of good juice out there and it's yummy and it's great for any season. So keep trying some pink wine. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can follow us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. You can send questions or comments, and you can find our past episodes on iTunes or SoundCloud. Cheers.